Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life, a podcast about finding your place in the world. If you've never heard the show before, I encourage you to begin with episode one. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And Tiffany, I want to read an email to you. You may recall that last week we talked about the differences between what is an immigrant and what is an expat and came to no conclusions, although it was a good debate. And we asked people to weigh in, and I'm going to share one of those weighing ins with you. Let's hear it. Which I know you haven't seen yet because you were on vacation last week, you lucky girl. So this is from Claire. She wrote, as for the expat migrant immigration issue, I had a natter with a South African friend who has settled here. He sees himself as a South African living in London, with no intention of going back, except in his wildest dreams. However, he has family, Dutch-English, here, so that makes it really interesting. He's not an expatriate because he still is South African in his mind, and he has no plans to get citizenship, so he's not a migrant. But he works here like all of us do, so is that an economic migrant? Or is he just a Londoner? He also hates labels and he has no patience for the person who wrote that article. And uh, I should mention that Claire is planning on going away abroad for a year uh, next year. So this is what she writes about herself. When I go away for a while, I won't be working and I certainly won't be moving there permanently. I'm going to be on an extended holiday. Again, I think it comes down to the privileged worldview of, and having the resources to travel. But then again, I've been saving for this trip for a year. But again, I'm really unhappy about a generalized label. We all grow abroad for different reasons, and we shouldn't be lumped together. Good point. I read that terribly. No, no, you did fine. That, that's that, what she had to think. It's a good point. It's a good point. I agree. It's why do we need labels? It's not really a reason. But when, the only thing I don't understand is she says he still considers himself a South African, so he's not an expatriate. But I feel like that's what makes you an expatriate, is that you move abroad, but you still feel connected to your home country, whereas an immigrant is someone who moves abroad and becomes from that country. When you meet immigrants from, for example, people who hail from India or their parents hail, but usually even first generation, people who still speak with an Indian accent and they say, I'm from South Dakota. That's an immigrant. That's someone who has said, I made a decision to change my life. I'm moving to America in this case, and I'm going to be American. And an expat is someone who's like, no, I'm from India and I'm just living in the States for a year to work or to play. Or for life. Like this guy sounds like he's planning on being in London forever, but he always will feel like he's a South African. Yeah, but she says in, she says in his wildest dreams he would move back, which he makes does me have think wild dreams. that, <laughs> well, yeah, and that he would like to go back. And just the fact that he wants to go back, even if he can't do it, even if he, just the fact that he wants to, that doesn't say immigrant to me. I think he's saying that he doesn't want to, that he would never go back except in his wildest dreams, meaning I would never do it. Yeah, maybe, maybe I don't understand that expression. To me, when you say I would only do that in my wildest dreams, it means like, maybe I'm thinking my wildest fantasies. Like, I would love to move back to the States, but it's impossible, so I'll never do it. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's the opposite. Who knows? It's the opposite. Yeah? Anyway. Okay. So that's what Claire had to say. 
She also donated toward our fund to get you a new microphone. Sweet. So thank you, <laughs> So Claire. I can stop using my phone. I know. We're currently using uh, Tiffany's phone, which is not a wonderful system. But we uh, have not gotten enough to actually buy you that microphone yet. So if you love this show and you actually want to donate toward the cause to get Tiffany a real microphone, visit our donate page. If you want to hear my voice as it properly should sound. Well, it's interesting <laughs> because I use a real microphone and you don't. You use an iPhone which I guess is a real microphone. However, I think when you listen to us side by side, you have a sharper sound to what you sound like. And I have a more, compared to you, it sounds muffled, but it's more like a... A softer sound. It's not as tinny. Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. So I'm hoping to get us on the same level. Anyway, that's my quest. And that's my pitch. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about immigration and um, all those things anymore this week, are we? We're talking about something entirely different. Because I had a friend who came to town. He was actually in Seattle on a visit to surprise his mother for her birthday. He's an expat. He's been living in Thailand for the last 10 years. And he doesn't come home all that frequently. So the fact that he just showed up on her birthday was a big surprise. But lucky for me, he also um, wanted to hang out. And so he came over to talk to me. His name is JJ Michael. He teaches math in Thailand. He's also a photographer. But I wasn't intending to tape him at all when he came to my house. But him and Derek, my husband, were sitting in the room. I was sitting on the computer looking up something for them. And they were sitting in my office where I usually record, where I'm recording right now. And they were t- started talking about how you learn the Thai language. And I was like, wait, 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 can I, can I record this? Derek, by the way, was not pleased. Yeah, he doesn't like to be on tape, I have learned. Derek actually subsequently got up and left the room because he didn't want to be on tape. <laughs> That's what makes this tape kind of funny is because at the beginning, you can hear me swing the microphone into his face. <laughs> it's a lot more casual. So there's a lot more mic noise than you would normally hear. But I think that's sort of what makes it funny. It was also a, a cold day. And so you can hear the heater clicking. Because obviously when we record, I don't have the heater on regardless of how cold a day it is. But we weren't planning on taping anything. So that's why that noise is in there. So why don't we just listen to that? I think he says several interesting things that we can comment on. And uh, okay, let's listen. First moved to Thailand. (laughs) (laughs) When I first moved to Thailand, I was just interested in learning the language just because I knew I was going to be there for a couple years and I wanted to be able to get by and be able to have simple conversations. I was the only math teacher at the school. I was the first English speaking math teacher. And they gave me a stack of Thai math books. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to teach or what I was supposed to be teaching. And I had to learn to read and write Thai. I was just forced into it. Through books, I taught myself how to read and write. And then I could look up the math book and I could read it and any words I didn't understand, used online resources like an online dictionary. I'd be able to type it in and figure out what I was supposed to be teaching. And so through that, I learned how to read and write quickly. And that helped me learn the language much quicker. And then it was just not just personal curiosity, but just I didn't want to be that person that couldn't have a conversation with any of the locals. So was that... <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I'm recording this now, but I, I, I it's you good. Know, I, don't care. I can't even imagine being handed all those books and being like, you're going to teach math and here's a bunch of books in Thai. What was your first reaction to having to learn a new language to teach? Uh, well, I, I taught in English. 
a little background on the program is it, it was a program, an English program in a Thai school. And I was given, you know, the Thai books, which had all of the subjects and topics and whatnot in Thai. It was just another part of the challenge of teaching in a different culture to you know, a different set of students. So it was just part of the job. For me, it was kind of a fun challenge. and I'm glad that I was forced to learn to read and write because I have friends that have lived there for 8, 10, 12 years that can speak very good Thai, but still can't read and write it. And the other thing about reading and writing Thai is that when things are, I think the word is transliterated from the Thai script into the Roman alphabet, there's no, uh, what is it? There's no universal, universally accepted system. There are some sounds in Thai that we just don't have those vowels. And so the way that they write them, different signs, different menus, whatever, for the same word in Thai would have different spellings. And so, and so knowing exactly how to pronounce that word, if you're looking at the way it's written using the Roman alphabet, then you wouldn't know exactly how to pronounce it. Whereas if you can look at it using the Thai script, you know exactly what that consonant is supposed to sound like, what that vowel sound is and whatnot. Does it help though, once you can read and write in Thai, does it help you understand the Roman alphabet too? Or does that question not make sense? That... Like, for instance... <laughs> I don't think that question makes sense. <laughs> for instance, the name P-H-R-E-A-W. Yes. Prow. Right. Yes. Um, I don't know if that's the best. Uh, let me try to think of a, a, a word that would... Um, like uh, the word for meat. Nuh. Nuh. It's that E-U-A... Uh, some places would pronounce it U-A, you know, Nua, Nua. It's, it's one of those words where no matter how you write it using the Roman alphabet, you still don't know exactly how it's supposed to sound in Thai. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but for me, just being able to read the Thai, I know exactly what the word is supposed to sound like. Whereas if I look at it in the Roman alphabet, chances are I'll know what it should sound like because I can read Thai and I understand it, but someone that couldn't read Thai would look at it and they could probably get it close if it was a good transliteration. For example, if you were to go to Thailand and read a menu or read a sign or directions or anything like that, some of the words you would pronounce horribly wrong because of the way they're written in English. Do a lot of your expat friends speak Thai? Yes, a lot of them do, but I'm surprised at how many people I run into that are foreigners that have lived there for several years that don't speak Thai. I have several friends that speak very good Thai, conversational Thai, to speak fluent Thai and have a conversation about anything. I have a couple of friends that can translate from Thai to English, and they do that for work. Then I have friends that have been there for a long time that are even married to Thai that can speak, you know, maybe some of the basics, but very little Thai. And I'm surprised that, I guess I'm not surprised. For me, it's surprising that they didn't put forth that effort. But if you live in Bangkok, you really don't need to speak Thai. It's very easy to get around and do your day-to-day -day chores, activities, whatnot, without speaking any Thai. Is it part of the, the fact that as a Westerner, it just seems like learning an Asian language would be extremely difficult? Is that a mental perception that we have that's untrue? Um, <clears throat> I think that learning Thai, so I studied French in high school, and obviously I'm at different times in my life where one, I was forced to study a foreign language, but I had relatives that spoke French, so I was interested in it. Versus now where I'm, you know, a bit older and living in a foreign country where there's more of an incentive to speak Thai, 
I found that it was easier for me to learn Thai than it was for me to learn French. Mm. Now, some of that could be from the fact that I've heard that your second foreign language is easier to learn. I don't know how accurate that is, but because you already have an ear for a different language. But I think the grammar is somewhat simpler for at least speaking the basics. There's not all this conjugation that you have to deal with. We don't have any articles, masculine articles and feminine articles like in the French and Spanish and all that. I think that made it easier to learn the basics. But as I continue to study now, I'm realizing there are a lot of grammar points that I just don't, haven't learned yet. And so I know that you know a lot of stuff that I say, while I can have a conversation with someone that speaks Thai and doesn't speak English, that what I'm saying is far from grammatically correct. How do you imagine you sound in Thai if you were speaking English? <laughs> I don't even know how, how to answer that. Um, I mean, what do you mean by that? How do you... <laughs> like like if, if I was a, a Thai person listening to your Thai, how would I feel like you sounded? Oh, I, I think, and I've been told this by Thais, that my accent, my pronunciation is pretty good, but I don't think that I would ever be able to, for example, if I was speaking on the phone to someone, I'm pretty sure that every single Thai person knows that I'm a foreigner speaking Thai. I think I sound semi-Thai. Is that, <laughs> is that, does that work? But it's not as bad as me, beer, here, please, now. No, I don't think, no, I don't think it's at, I don't, no. I don't think it's quite as bad as that. But, you know, sometimes it might be close. <laughs> Why did you pick Thailand? I just went there for a vacation. And at the time I was in between jobs and I heard that it was a cheap place to travel. I'd been to Europe. I'd been to Mexico. So I wanted to do something that you know, was very different. So I chose Southeast Asia. Yeah, but it takes a lot to stay in a place. So what kept you there? I really liked the country. I liked the people, the culture, the food, um, you know, just everything about living there. It was easy to live there as a foreigner. I'd quit my, my job in the U.S. So there was nothing calling me back to the U.S. I started finding jobs as a math teacher, which I'd never done, but I really enjoyed. And so here I am 10 years later, still doing the same thing. Yeah. And possibly never coming back to the United States. I don't know. I mean, I kept saying I would, I'll be back in a couple of years, a couple of years, you know, every two years. So I don't want to say that I'll never come back to the U.S., but it, it's a possibility that I would never live here again. I mean, that's, I, I won't say that it won't happen, but I can't imagine that I'd live there the rest of my life. But who knows? Why not stay in Bangkok for the rest of your life? I, I guess I don't have any plans. <laughs> I think that's the better answer to your question is right now, I guess I could see myself living in Bangkok for the rest of my life, but I could easily see myself living in the U.S. again. What I don't know what I want to do, and I don't really want to plan for that. I had no idea I was going to be there for 10 years. So for me to say I know what I'm going to do in five or 10 years at this point would be foolish. How do Thai people, the Thai people in your community treat you as a foreigner? I live in a very Thai neighborhood, so I think it's a novelty to many of the Thais that live there. But they're, I mean, they're very friendly, they're very outgoing, uh, very helpful if I ever need that. Sometimes I can tell that I'm a source of entertainment. <laughs> It's, it's the white guy walking down the street, you know, I get people kind of glaring at me, not glaring, but staring at me. And from my students, I've been told that we're respected and loved more than their Thai teachers because we treat them differently. And it's just a cultural thing as far as how Thai teachers treat Thai students versus how many foreign teachers treat Thai students. So I, I think it depends on 
the group of people that you're talking about as far as how they treat foreigners. Do you like having people look at you as the entertainment? I really don't care. I guess I can understand it because in Thailand, especially once you get out of the city or you get more Thai neighborhoods, they don't see a lot of different ethnic groups. When you walk into a store or something like that, you'll hear farang, farang, which means foreigner. And it would be similar to us, for example, in a predominantly white neighborhood, if a Chinese person were to walk into a store and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, look, a Chinese person, a Chinese person. It was really weird at first, but now I'm just kind of used to it. But just things that wouldn't be taken too well here in the U.S. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would not go over well here. Do you think it'll be weird to not be that person? I mean, I, that was totally true to my experience, too, is half of being an expat and particularly for me, a brand new one was being willing to be the clown in the situation. I mean, you've been there for so long now. Do you think if you were to come back here, it would be strange to just blend into the masses at this point? I, no, I don't think so. When I come home for long visits, people always ask, you know, my friends in Thailand or friends here say, oh, you know, do you have culture shock coming back here? And I've never experienced that. I, I don't know why. I mean, when I come back, it just feels natural. When I go back to Bangkok tomorrow, I will feel like I'm going home and everything will be normal. And, but when I come back here, and I think the longest that I've been away from the U.S. was probably two, two and a half years. When I came back after two and a half years of being gone, it just seemed natural and normal and there was no culture shock. So I don't know. I've, I have had other friends that have experienced that. Everything was so different, but I never did. Is there something about the lifestyle over there that you like better than over here? Yes, and there are things that I like better about the lifestyle over here. One thing, just the day-to-day -day life, is the accessibility to amazing food. Whether I'm getting food from a street cart or a nice restaurant, any, at any point of any day, I can get an amazing meal for dirt cheap. And it's really, really good food. That's, I think that's, that's kind of a weird thing to say, but I think that might be the one thing I'd miss the most if I ever do move back here, how great the food is. What's frustrating is the lack of any urgency. Urgency is not the right word, but there, there's a, a Thai saying of my bin rai, which is, oh, I don't care. And it's kind of an easy way, you know, easy going way of life. And that frustrates me somewhat. I like that. But at some point, you should take a bit more care in what's going on. And, and this probably comes more from a professional standpoint, working in a school, whereas you shouldn't have that attitude. <laughs> you should try to try to get things done in a you know proper and efficient way. Um, that comes from other aspects of life as well. For example, there was construction going across on a, uh, across the street from my house, and one of the trucks backed into my garbage can and cracked the lid, which is really not a big deal. But I went and said, "Hey, you cracked the lid of my garbage can. Can you fix that?" And they looked at me and said, "Oh, it's okay." And all in Thai, "It's okay. Look, it still fits." It was just that, that attitude of, ah, who cares? And you know, these are minor little things, but I can't think of any specific more specific examples, but that happens all the time and it can be frustrating. Because you're used to having people actually respond. Oh, my garbage can is broken yeah. and the city of Seattle brings you a new one. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really bad example, but <laughs> if, I were to, if I were to think more about these examples, I would be able to come up with some better ones. <laughs> can't right now. No worries. All right, well, um, let me ask you one more thing. How's dating overseas in Thailand? A lot like it is here, very different cultures, but I haven't had any long-term relationships there, which is fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks. Thanks for letting me do that. Okay. You want to say anything in Thai to end? 
no. <laughs> so that's my long-term friend, JJ Michael, who lives in Thailand. He's been there for the last 10 years. Do you know JJ, by the way? I don't. H- how do you know him? Well, he grew up with me in school also. And around 10th grade, he was probably my best friend. All right. I mean, I'm sure I heard you talk about him back in the day. Katie and I only went to the same school in the sixth grade. (laughs) It should be noted. If they didn't do theater, I probably didn't know them very well. Well, yes. And it was a very good friendship, but it was one that went awry. I mean, I wouldn't say went awry. That makes it sound like we were not friends at one point. But JJ was one of those lucky fellows who at a really young age, met a girl that he really liked, who really liked him back. But she was very jealous of the fact that we were friends and was making a big stink about it. And he came to me one day and he just said, I don't know what to do. How do I choose between my best friend and my girlfriend? From my recollection, I said, well, you should pick her because I'm still going to be around when she's gone. Ooh, touche, touche. Hedging my bets, probably thinking that she would be around for maybe a couple months. She was around for the next two and a half years. And so it did fundamentally put an end to our really deep friendship in high school. So that was poorly played on my behalf. (laughs) Well, it wasn't. It wasn't. If you had insisted, he might have resented it. You guys might not be friends to this day. So So you never know. You never know. So that's JJ. Sorry for sharing that story, JJ. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening Maybe you don't even remember that. Anyway, but yeah, he brought up some pretty interesting points, I thought. I thought the part where he's talking about learning the language and the fact that he learned it from having to learn the math books he was going to be teaching is probably one of the most insane ways of learning a language I've ever heard. Yeah, it's almost like the terminal. Did you ever see the terminal with, uh, what's his Um, name? Forrest Gump. Oh, What's his Tom name? Hanks. Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. You know, like he learns English by like reading a book and like looking the words up in a dictionary. Anyway, it is pretty insane. I've never learned a language that didn't use the Roman alphabet. I've never even attempted it. And I think that's a whole different level of language learning. Why have you never attempted it? Was it because it just looks like a bunch of squiggly lines and your mind just blows immediately? Thai specifically looks like a bunch of squiggly lines. <laughs> it really does look like a bunch of squiggly lines. It's not because of that. I like a challenge. I wouldn't necessarily not try to learn a language for that reason. I think my reason is because I'm fascinated with Europe in general, European culture, so French, Italian, German, Spanish, those are the languages that sort of attract me. I've always thought that the hardest part about learning an Asian language would be the tonality. I can't often even hear it. Well, I mean, that's like any any language that you don't speak is going to have subtleties that you can't necessarily hear. For people learning Italian, we have our double consonants like bello, and a lot of foreigners will say bello. They can't hear the difference between bello and bello. And it takes time to learn that. So you'd learn it. You'd get it eventually. What was the hardest thing about Italian for you to learn? (laughs) I don't know. I I hate to sound like a a jerk, but Italian wasn't hard for me to learn. Honestly, I felt like when I was learning to speak Italian, I felt like I spoke this in another life. That's why it's coming so easily to me. I really had that thought, and I don't necessarily believe in reincarnation necessarily, but I did have that thought because it just came natural to me. If you go with JJ's theory that a second language is easier to learn, 
And it's my recollection that you tried to learn French first also. Yes, I took French in high school, middle school, high school. And I studied in Montreal for two and a half years. So technically, I should speak French. I did speak French at that time, decently. I never spoke it really well, like I speak Italian. But I think you're right. I think that made it easier to learn. Sure, sure. Well, how do you learn a language? What works for you? I think that the number one thing is that you have to, and I know this is totally cliche because everyone says this, but it's true. You have to be in the country. You have to be around people speaking it. When I started learning Italian, well, I studied it for one year in college, my first year in college. And then over the summer, I went to Italy and I met a whole bunch of Italians. I just was speaking with them all the time. And at first it was like, you sound like an idiot. You know, you sound like an idiot. You know, I'd had one year of lessons. So I'm not saying just jump in and expect like a baby to be able to pick it up because I don't necessarily think that you can do that if you haven't had any formal training at all, unless you're actually a baby and then you can. (laughs) But um, put yourself out there before you think you're ready. Because if you wait until you're ready, you'll never be ready. It's like the whole having a baby thing. If you wait until you feel ready to have a baby, you'll never have one. Because nobody's ready. If you're an adult and you're learning a foreign language, you never feel like you're ready to express yourself properly. But you should be able to ask someone what time it is and tell them that you like their food. What about when it comes to studying it in the first place? Like writing, reading, pictures, what actually helps you get the words stuck into your head? You know, it's been so long since I've studied a new language from scratch. Reading at night in your foreign language is really good. Just read something really simple and easy to read, like, you know, an Agatha Christie novel or something, right before you go to bed. And when you're sleeping, it, you're, you know, your brain just absorbs it. And you sometimes will dream in that language. So I think that's a really good way. Of course, you have to be at a certain level before you can do that. One of the things that I did before leaving to come to Italy last year, I got this workbook. And I wouldn't say that the workbook was a wild success, although it helped when I was dedicated to using it. And when was that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) That's true. When was that? No, sorry. Sorry. I just remember that workbook. And I remember going through it and like dog-earing a couple of important pages for you to study. And I don't think you never, ever did it. I did leave the workbook workbook there too I will admit you're bad but it had a bunch of stickers where you can go around the house and label things like door or colors or how do you say door in Italian I don't know porta there you go I guess it's stuck good job but the funny thing about that is is that one of them was Nero for black Nero Nero right that's my bad version and I stuck it to this speaker system that we have that you can put your iPod in and it makes it so it's louder and now we just call that item Nero, Nero. <laughs> that's, a, that's its name now <laughs> that's cute so I don't know if it worked but it did name one of our objects so that's good yeah I definitely think the sticker thing works um and it's fun it's especially fun for kids so if you're like trying to learn a language with your kids that would be a good way going beyond though I mean he also talks about that he had to read math books in a foreign language to figure out what it was that he was supposed to teach which made me wonder if there was ever a point that you remember when you were called on in your early language to do something that was above what you thought you were capable of? There was a moment, but it actually wasn't that early on, but it still felt above my abilities. When I was doing tours of the Vatican museums, working for an agency, they were so obsessed with making as much money as possible that they would try to get as many people on a tour as possible. 
so that they could make the maximum amount of money. So I was supposed to be doing a tour in English, obviously. My boss kept, you know, bringing more people over to me and just saying, you know, hang out with these people. They're waiting for their tour guide. They were all Italians. And he said, There's a, we're going to have an Italian tour guide for the Italian speakers. He just wanted me to babysit these people, basically. And so I thought, okay, no big deal. Hi, hi. I said hello to them. But I continued to speak English with the English people who were going to be on my tour. And the number of Italians kept growing and growing and growing until finally there were about 60 people. And it was getting to the point where we needed to start the tour. These people were getting anxious to start. I said to my boss, okay, you know, has the Italian guide showed up yet so you can take these people? And he just kind of looked at me and said, um, I hate to tell you this, but the guide actually can't make it. I don't think there was ever an Italian guide at all. He basically said, you're going to have to do the tour in two languages. I'm pretty sure I had never given a tour in Italian, period. When you give a tour, particularly of a place like the Vatican that is so chock full of stuff. I mean, the tours are long. They're, you know, two or three hours long. There's so much to see that you basically don't stop talking for a second. It, you know, it takes time to sort of learn. And I don't want to say memorize because it wasn't like the tours were verbatim. But, you know, it's, you get into a rhythm when you're doing a tour that you've done, you know, many, many, many times. And of course, I didn't have that in Italian. Not only that, there was a lot of vocabulary that I didn't know. I didn't know the word for charcoal. I didn't know the word for certain types of uh, painting techniques and certain types of objects. I also don't really have a good mastery of the passato remoto tense, which is the tense that you use for things that happened a long time ago like at least 20 years ago. Usually when you're talking about historical figures, you use the passato remoto. And I really didn't know how to use it. So I knew I was going to sound kind of dumb, but I didn't, I didn't have a choice. Do you think that you benefited? Uh, we should mention too that Claudia just came home behind you. Yeah. If you, heard a, if you heard a creak, that's our front door, that it needs some serious oil. Have you ever heard of the radio show Inner Sanctum from the Golden Age of Radio? No, I, I don't know it. It was a horror show, um, a radio drama. The reason that show was created was because a guy found a door that creaked in such a way when it was opened that he was inspired to create an entire show around it. And that show starts with the door creaking open. Oh, brilliant. I got to look it up. No, but what I was going to ask was, would you say that you benefited from that experience? Was it a good experience? It was a horrible experience to do, to live through. It was horrible. <laughs> and the main reason it was horrible was because... I had to say twice as much in the same amount of time. And I was so stressed out the entire time. All of the Italians were annoyed because they had been told they were going to have a native-speaking Italian tour guide. The English speakers were annoyed because I was, to their eyes, giving half my attention to the Italians, and they were getting half the information, which really wasn't true. I, I was like on overdrive, and somehow I managed to get pretty much all the information out. But I did have, a, 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 I think an American woman came up to me at some point during the tour, and she said, you know, you're saying way more in Italian than you're saying in English. And I said, you know what? First of all, it takes longer to say things in Italian because of how the language is. And secondly, it's my second language. So it's really not a surprise that it takes me longer to say something in Italian. And then you punched her in the face? And then I punched her in the face in the Sistine Chapel. No, <laughs> I didn't punch her, but it was in the Sistine Chapel. And I thought, oh, horrible person. 
Uh, but anyway, but, but there were some Ita- Italian women on the tour who were really, really nice, actually. Privately, I sort of said to this couple, I'm so sorry, I, I know you, you thought you were going to have an Italian guide. And they said, oh, you're doing so great. And they were the ones who were sort of helping me when I couldn't think of a word, and they'd sort of suggest the word if I didn't remember it. So there were some nice moments, but it was pretty horrible. <laughs> but on the other hand, it was a good thing because I learned that I was capable of doing a tour in Italian. You never know that you're capable of doing something until you do it. And so either you can force yourself or someone can force you. <laughs> sometimes you have to be forced by someone else. And it, sometimes, sometimes it works out. Yeah, and it didn't become like one of those anxiety dreams that you have where you're on stage no. and you can't remember any of your lines or something like that. No, but I'll tell you that before I started to, being a tour guide, I did have anxiety dreams about being in the Vatican Museums and not being able to find the Sistine Chapel <laughs> with a huge group of people. It was stressful. It was unpleasant. But I learned a lot from it, and I learned what I'm capable of, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. Well, we should probably leave it there. All right. <laughs> I think so. I think we've gone a bit long. So We've gone a bit long. So if you have any suggestions about the best way to learn a language, feel free to send us an email, bittersweetlife at mail.com, and we'll share some of those. Yes. And we'll let you go, Tiffany, so you and Claudio can have dinner together. Thank you. And I'll go have another cup of coffee. <laughs> Sounds good. Until then, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Visit the donate page on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. All donations are reserved exclusively for the creation of audio content. Your financial support keeps us strong. Thank you.